You are listening to a Wavel Room podcast. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you go for your podcasts. But if that's not enough for you, head to wavelroom.com where you can read our articles, you can follow us on social media, where you can come and join us at one of our live events. On this podcast, we hear from Colonel Richard Cernberg from the Army's Doctrine Centre in Warminster, and he gives us a fascinating look into the future of where the British Army's urban doctrine is going. Throughout the podcast, you may hear some odd noises. Please bear with us. We're still learning how to podcast. We hope you enjoy. So my name's Lieutenant Colonel Richard Sernberg. Um, I, um, I'm an infantryman, um, Mercian Regiment, originally Cheshire. Uh, and so I've done, I've served for 23 years uh, as a non-graduate. Uh, I've spent quite a long time as a, as a platoon commander, as a junior officer. Um, initially, um, or principally in Northern Ireland, included both um, operations in, in Londonderry, sort of relatively urbanised area, and in, and in Belfast as well. Um, and that sort of ran on as a as a theme all and off uh, through the through the early part of my career, really for the first sort of seven or eight years. Uh, a number of tours interspersed with uh, with training jobs um, at uh, at Harrogate, um, and and a bit of, bit of time recruiting. Um, after then being um, regimental signals officer um, within the battalion, including a bit of time in Basra, um, trying to do that job um, with. Um, communications equipment that was falling over, the old uh, Klansman system. Um, we then, I then uh, went to Sandhurst as a platoon commander, um, promoted, went to German Staff College. Uh, I was, all my sort of staff jobs as a, as a major were generally in the plans arena, initially in 20 Brigade, um, including a, a, a turn in, in, in TFH, um, and uh, commanded a rifle company with, uh, with one Royal Welsh in, in, in Chester. Um, prior to um, my last SA2 job, which was in Joint Force Headquarters, um, where we did a bit of work on, on how you might um, evacuate British citizens from um, some rarely urbanised areas, Tripoli and, and Kinshasa being the, being the two, uh, and, then, uh, and then promoted and posted to um, what then was Field Army Warfare Branch and is now the Warfare Branch of the, of the Land Warfare Centre um, as SO1 Environmental Doctrine. So not focused just on urban, um, but on those elements of doctrine that um, try to lay down the, the principles for um, how we would operate in specific um, environments. So what sort of environments, as well as urban, and we'll focus mostly on urban yeah. today, but what other environments do you fall into your brief. So urban, mountains, um, tropical, cold weather, um, desert, uh, and woods and forests are the, uh, are the, principal, um, the principal environments that we, that we focus on. Um, you, you'll realize that uh, there's a bit of a mix in there between climate types and, uh, and sort of topographical um, differences. So desert isn't necessarily um, climate-based, although it tends to be. Um, and woods and forests clearly have nothing to do with uh, have nothing to do with climate specifically, and they um, they can be combined with with other areas. So it, it's it's a it's a broad mix, principally focused on on urban operations. Takes up most of my time. Woods and forests is probably the um, the area that takes up the um, the second most amount of our time. A lot of the other environmental doctrine is um, is a slightly lesser priority at the moment. And so why, why is that? Why is urban doctrine now taking up the majority of your time? So if you, if you think about uh, most of the environments that I, that I spoke about, they, they don't tend to change particularly. So the doctrine that we've got for them 
um, is relatively good. It looks old-fashioned um, quite often. Um, it hasn't necessarily been validated particularly recently, um, but woods um, are pretty similar um, to what they looked like two, three hundred years ago, if not if not more, maybe a little bit more commercialised. Um, their effect on military operations um, is, is relatively similar, um, albeit with new capabilities, the effect on, on that isn't necessarily fully taken into, into account. Um, the urban environment, on the other hand, um, changes all the time and changes very rapidly. And I think we've seen um, a lot of change in that environment in the last 20 or 30 years. And because by its nature, the urban environment is somewhere where you find large um, groups of people, um, the the advances in the information um, domain over the last over the last twenty or thirty years, certainly over the last five or ten years, um, really are distilled into the urban environment. So the urban environment changes much more rapidly, um, and I think we um, we realise we have realised for, for quite some time that the urban environment is going to be somewhere that is going to play a part in in almost every future um, British Army operation to 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 some um, sort of degree at least. There's an awful lot written about how rapidly the world is urbanising and how many people are, are rapidly moving towards it, and I suppose also moving towards the sea as well, which I imagine plays part of an element of, uh, of how you look at this. Uh, so I suppose is that also part of why, why it's so important as we go forward, it's going to become increasingly important? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think the, the, the world is, is urbanising. I mean, it has been since, since the Industrial Revolution. Um, you make a you make a valid point about um, the fact that the vast majority of, of urban areas uh, sit within about a hundred kilometres of um, of the sea, um, of the coast. So if you're a Royal Marine, you're probably in a growth <laughs> growth industry. Um, if you're sort of an urban focused Royal Marine, so um, and 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 yes, so the, the fact that the people are sort of leaving the rural areas or at least because you've got such a population already in urban areas that population is expanding much much more rapidly than, than, it, than in the rural um, you, you you do have a, a sort of driver there um, that means that um, we are likely to end up having to having to operate um, in these areas not least because um, we're, we're an organization that, that focuses on, on the human aspect of, of things and therefore decisions are likely to be made where there are considerable numbers of humans ergo in, in urban environments. Okay. And so where is our urban doctrine going? So um, so the urban doctrine um, is one of the most recently updated bits of the environmental doctrine um, sort of hierarchy. It was last updated in 2015 um, and quite a bit of work went into that to try and split out uh, the more um, sort of low-level but generic, so non-specific to arms and services, tactics, techniques, and procedures into the into the urban tactical handbook, um, and and then the sort of the higher-level planning principles and considerations that need to be taken into account um, by by staff officers conducting planning uh, into the the doctrine note um, operations in the urban environment. Um, Clearly, that was published in 2015. ADP Land Ops was published in um, 20, um, or certainly early 2017. It was out on the streets, really, maybe at the late end of 2016. 
um, and that um, changes some of the um, some of the overarching um, sort of bedrock of, of, of the British Army doctrine, which means that the Army doctrine is already slightly slightly out of date, um, not fundamentally, but uh, but certainly it doesn't necessarily um, adhere to all the new concepts brought out in um, in ADP land ops. Um, and I think that's um, that needs to be um, resolved. Uh, where else are we are we going to go with Urban Doctrine? I think it's probably going to uh, it probably needs to bring in um, a lot of the the really good stuff that we learnt um, in Northern Ireland and Basra. So uh, probably stuff that's below the level of major combat operations, more focused on, on stability or counterinsurgency, um, but which um, in the current um, iteration of the doctrine um, really doesn't play um, a big enough part. Um, I think there are some very specific legal considerations um, for operations in, in the urban environment um, that um, the current doctrine doesn't um, properly take into account, or at least it, there's probably the requirement for a bit more detail behind it. Clearly, when you're working at brigade level and above, um, you're likely, if you make any planning decisions that that, that are legally um, unsafe, you'll probably be backstopped by a league ad. But, mm. uh, but below that level, um, you don't have that, uh, that, that sort of ability. And, and there are decisions that could be made in the urban environment that may um, put you on the, on the wrong side of the law if you're, if you're, not, um, if you're not fully aware of, uh, of potentially some of the second order issues that can, can come out of uh, military activities in the urban environment. So you could give us an example yeah, so, um, so for example, our current doctrine says that um, because of our, um, so, or because of all militaries, um, sort of lack of um, force and the, and the size of urban environments, that we've got to focus um, on the essential and to secure um, the essential areas of, of, of an urban environment. Those, those areas oftentimes are things like um, power stations. Um, water purification plants, sewerage stations, things that are critical for the for the life of the of the urban environment, um, and um, it would make sound military sense oftentimes to secure that by putting military force um, certainly on or around um, those objectives. Um, by doing that, you turn those into legitimate military targets, um, and. Subsequently, if the enemy then decides to attack them or attack you and destroys those targets, you can have a considerable effect on the on the civilian population of, of the urban environment. Um, and it's more just the requirement for um, people involved in operations in the urban environment to to consider those um, those issues. Um, and at the moment, the doctrine maybe doesn't bring that out um, explicitly um, explicitly enough. So you mentioned uh, looking at Northern Ireland, looking at Basra. I, I, would, I would assume that you're also looking at more contemporary, so Mosul, Raqqa, that those sorts of operations. Yeah, and so evidence from those. So, so all, all of those, the the evidence that, that came out of those from the from the Mosul and the Raqqa study groups um, generally supports most of what um, our doctrine says. There's clearly uh, some some detail in there that's uh, that's, that's really really useful for for all of that but no that 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 stuff is fully um fully brought brought into to how we are looking to update uh, update the doctrine as well as that our so our allies experiences um, our allies doctrine so i i attend 
a number of NATO meetings about about urban um, urban doctrine, U.S. Um, meetings about urban doctrine, and, there's, and there's, there's been a number of bilateral engagements sort of outside of the NATO space to to Finland, um, to Finland, to Australia, and to another to a number of other nations. We look as widely as we possibly can in order to make sure that we are not missing something that, that other nations have, have have picked up on, and clearly also our potential adversaries' experiences in the in the. Um, in the past as well, so some of the some of the stuff in in Syria, um, and also sort of other nations um, operations that maybe in the last twenty years that have, that are operations of, a, of an intensity that we haven't conducted. Um, so Chechnya, for example, and the the Russian experience there um, is uh, is really important to understand how um, how the urban fight might might develop in the future. Albeit noting that that's. Almost twenty years ago now, and, and, and things move move very quickly. So, are there any um, overarching themes you've seen that connects those theatres that we just talked about as you've studied them, or are they all very different? And is it very much uh, yeah a horse for a course? I, I think I think they're all they're all they're all different, but there are there are sort of broad similarities in that. Um, no, no military nowadays is really in a position um, to to conduct major operations um, of a type that you would have seen in Stalingrad, um, in Berlin, potentially even in in Cannes, in, uh, in, in Normandy, um, and therefore, um, so the the sensible use of that of the force that you have, um, the use of um, the combined arms force, rather than it just being um, an infantry fight or, or a tank fight, um, is, is is really is really important, and that's been played out across across all of those examples. Um, the requirement for that sort of low level grouping, sort of individual um, or, or certainly low level um, intelligence and, and initiative um, by by junior commanders in uh, in carrying carrying out their their battle. It's interesting. I, w- I wonder. If that's because, you know, on the whole, militaries have got much smaller than they were back in the days of Stalingrad, clearly, or have cities got much larger, or is it maybe a combination of the two things? I mean, I think it, I think it's definitely a, a combination, a combination of the two. Um, I mean, Stalingrad was was a pretty sizable city, but there are much many bigger cities than that um, around now, especially when you look to uh, to the far east and, and and bits of bits of Africa and uh, and our militaries. By, by necessity, are all much smaller than they than they were than they were then. Not not least because um, because of the cost, but also because of the, the some, some technologies which which save the requirement for personnel, um, which look very um, very appealing when you then end up in a situation where you do need a much more sort of individual force becomes quite quite difficult. So so that that is, that is. Is is a is a change, but I, again, I don't think it's necessarily um, surprising. And I think that Stalingrad and Berlin potentially were were slight anomalies. They were they were in a, a phenomenally sized sized war, and I think the majority of, of urban fights before and after um, have been have been much smaller, and the city has been much much bigger in relation to the to the military force. So you mentioned new technologies. Um, the use of, of drones with Heathrow and Gatwick, um, the use of drones there and the impacts they've had. 
shows how uh, drone technology is so readily available. I mean, we've seen an awful lot of evidence of that coming out of Syria and out of Iraq. That's, so how is our doctrine going to adapt to to cope with the drone threat in the urban environment? I mean, I think our doctrine across the board um, is 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 running to to catch up with um, with the, the the drone threat. But um, there's, there's, I think. You, you need to look at it probably in, in, in two sides. You've got drones in terms of um, larger sort of UAS platforms that really provide a, a sort of an effect similar to a, to a fixed wing aircraft. Um, I think the I think you quite rightly pointed out the, the Heathrow and, and Gatwick um, issues. The ability for military forces to be affected by smaller. Um, potentially commercial, off-the-shelf, potentially um, altered drones to turn them into weapon systems is uh, is is a real challenge. Not least because um, trying to identify where they are, trying to um, have an effect on them is is difficult for for a number of reasons. But I think we've seen um, we've seen drones being used in some of the urban environments that we're currently operating in in, in, in Kabul. Um, they see them see them on occasion, and I'm, and I'm pretty certain in. Um, in Iraq and uh, and Syria, they've seen them relatively. In fact, I know that they've seen them um, relatively regularly employed. Um, so drones and also autonomous vehicles um, in the round, I think, are going to be something that impacts our doctrine in in the future. Um, whether that is for because of the our adversaries using them, or I think because we want to use them as well. And we've seen nations having some success with. Uh, remote control bulldozers. Um, there are some systems that we've got that um, can be remotely controlled, and, and I think the, that provides advantages within the within the urban environment um, that maybe we haven't, we didn't have um, a number of years ago. I think often people, when they think of unmanned vehicles of any sort, they think of uh, reconnaissance, surveillance, that side. Uh, but for logistics as well, but would you see them being of use? Yeah, definitely. And and to be honest, it's whilst it's not really in the doctrinal space, it's definitely something that we're seeing the potential um, of unmanned ground vehicles being used for autonomous resupply um, and for sort of robotic casemac. So effectively, you have some kind of vehicle that. Can move between a location where you have stores to bring it to the fighting echelon forces, um, and um, and also to extract um, casualties as well. Because I think one of the one of the things that has been has been proven, um, both in the contemporary world but also historically, is the difficulty of, of of resupplying and extracting casualties within the within the urban environment. And that's been proved again and again. There's some debate about. Um, whether ammunition usage is actually higher in the urban environment than it is in, in the rural, but I don't think that that doesn't really matter. The, the issue is the difficulty in resupplying, um, irrespective of whether there's a there's a greater use or not. It's just compounded if you're using more of it, um, and and autonomous systems may make that um, may make that sort of much simpler to use uh, or much simpler to do. Um, manned unmanned teaming, so it might not be. Um, sort of completely autonomous vehicles. There might be sort of a human vehicle and then a number of other vehicles with that with that sort of human um, that allows that to to work even even better with with less less forces. Um, of course, the the advantage being that 
the, the threat in the urban environment is or can be much more omnidirectional um, than it is in the, in, the, in the rural environment, or is much more likely to be omnidirectional than it is in the rural environment. And therefore, all those systems are, are, are at risk. So if you don't have to put a human um, at risk, then, then, then what's not to like about that? I suppose when you consider that you could be facing a threat from subterranean all the way to on the ground that you're fighting on above you, it's, I can see absolutely why you'd want to try and take humans out of um, out of harm's way as much as possible or, or limit them in order to increase their survivability. At what sort of level do you see uh, autonomous vehicles being used down to a company, platoon, or maybe higher battle group sort of level? So, um, so I, I wouldn't like to I wouldn't like to make a specific statement as to as to which level I see them being used at. But um, the doctrine is consistently supported by by recent evidence. Consistently said that for success in urban operations, you've got to group at the, at the lowest level um, in terms of sort of engineer capability, sort of armour, um, potentially police, infantry capability. Um, that's got to be down to potentially section level. Um, and, and I suspect that you would see exactly the same thing in terms of um, in terms of autonomous vehicles um, being being used in, in, in those groupings. Um, we're running out of time. So something that we talked about earlier in this series is uh, how doctrines generated and you, you know, we've talked about you look at a whole as a wider range of different sources as you can from our own existing doctrine to our adversaries and our allies. Um, I think our listeners uh, would be keen to know, and our read- readers of the Waver Room would be keen to know if you'd be interested in their insights, and would you take that sort of information on board when you're thinking about your next set of urban doctrine? Yeah, and I, I think we, we really would be, um, and that's f- for a number of reasons. Firstly, the more the more information, the more ideas that you can that you can get out, particularly by by practitioners, going back to my point that you've got to group at the lowest level and actually the urban urban fight tends to be one at the, at the section and platoon and certainly potentially subunit level um, rather than rather than much above that. There's there's stuff that can be can be done above that. But uh, but really it's a it's a, it tends to be a, a low level um, battle, much more so sometimes than, than, than the than the rural environment. Um, but also I think one of the themes we Spoken about on a number of occasions is the is the technological um, sort of development that uh, that really is distilled into the into the urban environment. And you thought you find the effects of recent technological improvements really um, sort of coming together in, in the urban environment. And um, with with the best will in the world, people of of my era and I don't class myself as as old. Um, are less um, aware and able to use the the sort of the information domain um, systems that have come out and, and, and applications and social networks and, and interconnectivity of, of, of the urban environment that maybe um, the, the younger generation um, inherently get um, in, in a way that, uh, that those people who grew up with landline telephones and, uh, and terrestrial television um, and, and no internet um, have adapted to, but but hasn't been part of their existence the whole time. Yeah. You haven't you haven't grown up with the technology. So. No, no. And 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 to be honest, so there's been a bit of debate recently about the about the, the recent 
um, recruiting adverts. And, and one of the things that I was thinking in, in, in my mind the other day is that um, in terms of um, the urban environment, actually, a lot of our recruits, a lot of our young officers, it is their natural environment, um, much more so potentially than, than, than some of the slightly older generation, not so much my generation, the generation before, um, who maybe would have been much more um, rural vacants. There's been a, an increasing, along with sort of population movement into the urban area, exactly the same thing has happened um, in those people that we recruit into the army. So um, I think our soldiers are probably already pretty um, pretty at home in the urban environment. And, and we're so anything that we can do to, to, to tap um, their understanding of, of how to operate in, in, in that environment would be, would be useful. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Cool. Thank you for listening. The Wavel Room is free to use, but it's not free to produce. So head down to wavelroom.com and maybe donate us some money so that we can keep going and keep creating that content that we know you love. Thank you.